Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 295. Today's topic is lithium and clean energy. We're going to talk about lithium and clean energy in just a few minutes, but first I wanted to share with you where I'm coming from. Let's talk about Hart's Climate Principles, which is a lead up to Hart's Climate Proposals. So I'm going to be critiquing Biden's climate plan. I'm going to be critiquing people like Elon Musk of Tesla. But first, I want to share with you where I'm coming from. So I'm going to talk in a minute about Hart's climate proposals like universal basic income, Medicare for all, strong collective bargaining rights for all workers, because I believe those things are an important part of building a world that is capable of addressing climate change. But first, Hart's climate principles. So what are the principles that guide my philosophy and I think should guide our philosophy? Principle number one, put people first. And what, what gets in the way of putting people first? The answer is ideologies. Ideologies get in the way of putting people first. Ideologies that we've been taught since we were a knee-high to, to a grasshopper like American exceptionalism, like America supposedly has this unique role in the world, and that's how they get us to believe things and do things that just aren't right. Voltaire said, if you want to believe, if you want to get people to commit atrocities, then get them to believe absurdities. If you can get people to believe absurdities, then you can get them to commit atrocities. Americans commit atrocities every day because we've been convinced to believe in absurdities. I'm not saying every American commits atrocities every day, but Americans, somewhere there's an American committing an atrocity right now because we have been taught absurdities. So absurdities keep us from keeping people first. Absurdities like American exceptionalism, absurdities like a free market economy as if such a thing exists, absurdities like a free enterprise system as if McDonald's and Home Depot and Starbucks are all part of a free enterprise system, as if Bechtel and all the big defense contractors, McDonnell Douglas, Boeing, as if they're somehow part of a free enterprise system. Those are all absurdities and because we bought into absurdities, we, they get us to commit atrocities. Atrocities like denying people health care in the richest country ever. Atrocities like denying people food and, uh, and uh, adequate housing, making people breathe polluted air, making people drink polluted water in the richest country that's ever existed. Those are atrocities because we've been led to believe absurdities. Principle number two, give people control over their lives. To give people control over their lives, we would have to have a real democracy. We know scientific studies have been done to show there's very little correlation between what people want the government to do and what the government actually does. Actually, if you're a rich person, then it's much more likely that the government is doing what you want to do. If you're a poor person, it's likely the government is doing the opposite of what you want them to do. And the thing is, most people are poor or on the borderline of poverty today. So the government goes against the will of most people. And then if you're in that 
middle class or upper middle class, then the government might be doing what you want or it might not. But giving people control over our lives means we, we have democracy. We have democracy at every level. Not only democracy at the federal level, but at the state level and at the local level and democracy in the workplace. But if we go to the voting booth and we don't have a choice but to vote for people, you know, vote for Democrat or Republican, they're both, both pro-war. Vote for Democrat or Republican, they're both in favor of the big banks and the insurance companies and the food monopolies. That's not democracy. When the government at every turn is going against the will of the majority of people, that's not democracy or anything close. But, so we need to give people control over their lives. Uh, principle number three, we need to rethink everything. Principle number four, we need to be aware of false ideologies. Principle number five, we need to reduce the economy by half. Most of what you see around you is not for people. We're supposed to have government of the people, by the people, for the people. Most of what you see around you would not exist if people had control over their lives. For example, the average automobile is an $8,000 burden per year on the family budget. That is not something we would choose if we had a choice, but a transportation system where you have to have an automobile to get around is it was not chosen by us, it was chosen for us, so the powers that be could milk us for $8,000 per year on average. Can't seem to get our heads around the idea of building a train system, but they can always find the time, the money, the ingenuity, the engineers uh, to, uh, to approve of widening highways, widening the highways, widening the highways. When are we going to widen another highway? When are we going to add another lane? So we need to reduce the economy by half. We need to get rid of a bunch of stuff that would never be there uh, because people would not choose it. People, you know, the, the defense industry just would not be there if people could choose. All these new cars, new cars, churning out the new cars, making us more new cars. New cars, new airplanes. Our communities are controlled by monopolies. Our banking system is dominated by predatory banks, predatory lending. So we need to reduce the economy by half. We need to get rid of all the stuff that wouldn't be there. And people, people say, oh no, reduce the economy by half. That would be a terrible depression. That's because we've been trained, we've been conditioned to believe that the economy is our well-being. Where do we get that idea? Where do we get the idea that the way to help people, the way to do the most for people, is the most amount of money changing hands? Always growing the amount of money changing hands, because that's what an economy is. That's what gross domestic product is. It's 3% more next year than last year because there's more money changing hands. You know, some of that money changing hand is high interest rates to credit card companies. That counts in GDP. That's the part of the economy that could go away and it wouldn't adversely impact 99% of people. So principle number five, reduce the economy by half. Principle number six, eliminate whole industries. Principle number seven, radically rearrange whole sectors of the economy, like agriculture. Like, how do we get the idea that all of our farmland should be taken up with gen genetically modified corn and genetically modified um, soybeans that get drenched with toxic uh, 
uh, you know, toxic chemicals for pesticides. This is not the way to deliver the, the most nutrition per acre. It might be the way to make the most money per acre for uh, a certain class of people that we don't need to own all the farmland. Plus, what else is wrong with our agricultural sector? Well, you have, you know, toxic, you have, uh, you know, petrochemical fertilizers, completely unnatural. We have toxic chemicals being used as insecticides. We have neurotoxins being used as insecticides. We have carcinogens being used as herbicides. And way too much of our farmland is being used for stuff that's not even food, like high fructose corn syrup. So we need to radically rearrange whole sectors of our economy. Number eight, we need to eliminate anything that does not serve people. That's just like number one, put people first. Eliminate anything that does not serve people. Principle number nine, everyone deserves a fair shake, a fair share, and a fair shot. If we were to rearrange our economy so that everyone gets a fair shake, a fair share, and a fair shot, it would be an entirely different world. And principle number 10, we need to distinguish between sanity and conformity. So some of the things, some of the ideas I've been throwing out seem like the craziest thing in the world. If we are to, you know, if new ideas are always bad and the only thing that's good is whatever we've been doing. But what we've been doing doesn't work for the vast majority of people. So we need to do things differently. So let's distinguish between sanity and conformity. Just because it's just because we're conforming to other people or just because we're conforming to the way things have been doesn't mean that is sanity. In fact, you know, conformity as it is is leading us to a place where nobody wants to go. So that's a little trip through Hart's climate principles. Put people first. Give people control over their lives. Rethink everything. Beware of false ideologies. Reduce the economy by half. Eliminate whole industries. Radically rearrange whole sectors of the economy. Eliminate anything that does not serve people. Everyone deserves a fair shake, a fair share, and a fair shot. And distinguish between sanity and conformity. Now, today's topic is lithium and clean energy. So I'm going to cut to the chase and I'm going to tell you where I'm coming from. Clean energy is a deceptive term. And I think the term clean energy and even renewable energy can be used to mislead people. I'm not saying every time anybody uses the term they're misleading somebody, but I'm saying there are people who use terms like clean, especially clean energy, I think it's misleading. Because I, for one thing, I don't think there is any type of energy that is clean, except for when the sun shines on the plants and the plants grow, that's clean energy. Otherwise, I don't think there is any such thing as clean energy. Plus, there are a lot of charlatans who want to sell us solutions, supposed solutions to the climate crisis, but just because they want to sell us something doesn't mean they're going to solve the climate crisis. But let's look. Yeah, I counted uh, over 50 instances in the Biden climate plan has over 50 instances of the term clean as in clean energy. 
says things like Biden will lead by example with the United States cutting fossil fuel subsidies at home in the first year and redirecting these resources to the historic investment in clean energy infrastructure. Well, cutting fossil fuel subsidies is a good thing, but uh, uh, it says Biden will create a clean energy export and climate investment initiative. We can be the world's clean energy superpower. Biden will establish a new government-wide effort to promote American clean energy exports and investments around the world to advance climate change mitigation, adaptation, and resilience. He will make the world the he will make America the world leader in clean energy technologies. Well, what are clean energy technologies? It says here, America will prioritize partnerships with countries that make high climate ambition commitments under Paris and provide low-cost financing to these countries for American clean energy exports. So what are clean energy exports there? It says here, we're going to catalyze global clean energy research. In 2015, the Obama-Biden administration launched Mission Innovation, a global initiative of 23 countries and the European Union focused on research, development, and deployment of potential breakthrough technologies to accelerate clean energy innovation. So, I've, you know, I've spent a lot of time on Biden's climate plan, and I think it's just kind of a, a jumbled mass of stuff. I don't think it's going to be effective. I don't think he's going to stand behind it. And the part, you know, there's hardly anything in it that is really, truly efficacious in my view. I mean, if you really, if he were really serious about, you know, uh, about addressing climate issues, he would end fracking now. If he were really serious about, you know, wanting to do something about climate, he would give everybody universal basic income so you don't have to drive to work. He would give everybody Medicare for all so that you don't have to work a month out of the year just to pay for your health insurance. If he were serious about addressing climate change, he would end deforestation now. If he were serious about addressing climate change, he would eliminate half the economy, like I've suggested. Defense, you know, the Pentagon is the world's biggest polluter. We would you know, reduce defense by 90% if he were serious about addressing climate change. But, you know, that's a big undertaking, but it's the kind of thing that could be done you know, fairly quickly. If we were interested in uh, addressing climate change, we would eliminate the manufacture of new cars. We can do just fine, thank you, on the cars that we have. We could go for decades without manufacturing a single new car, or at least eliminating 90% of the new cars that we manufacture. We could go from now on without building any new planes. So on and on and on. That, that sounds radical to some people, but like I say, sanity and conformity are two different things. When you're in, a, when you're in an insane system, then conformity is insanity. So we said we were going to talk about clean energy, and one of the things that is associated with clean energy is lithium, because lithium is how you make lithium-ion batteries, 
Lithium-ion batteries are in most or all of our devices that require rechargeable batteries. They're in our phones, they're in our computers, and not least of all, they're in this whole new generation of electric cars that's coming out. So let's read an article in Salon from June of 2019. It says, electric cars are still better for the environment, but lithium mining has some problems. So let's look and see what problems lithium mining has. So here's the thing. Remember when I said, let's you know, reduce the manufacture of new cars by 90%. That's because the manufacture of cars, you know, a, a car is the most, the manufacture of a car it has the most complicated, extensive, polluting supply chain of any consumer product. Economist Richard Smith says that, you know, 60% of the pollution uh, from a car comes from before it comes off the assembly line. If we want to know whether something is clean energy, we need to take into account the entire life cycle of that thing. So I'm looking at an electric car and I'm noticing, hey, that electric car has to be manufactured. Plus, that electric car is going to be driving on a road. So if we're serious about addressing climate change, we need to, you know, no new cars or reduce new cars by 90%. No new roads, because we keep saying no new fossil fuel infrastructure. No new fossil fuel infrastructure means you stop building roads. Every cul-de-sac is fossil fuel infrastructure. It says here, continuing to read, cars and trucks account for nearly one-fifth of all carbon emissions in the United States, according to the Union of Concerned Scientists. Fossil fuel vehicles emit an average of 24 pounds of carbon dioxide and other hazardous gases for every gallon consumed. On the surface, emission-free electric cars might seem an improvement, yet other regions of the world will suffer as humanity transitions to electric cars, specifically mining for lithium, which is the essential element for batteries used in many electric cars as well as other portable electronics. So it's been estimated that the demand for lithium is going to multiply by 14 by 2030 because, mainly because of all the new electric cars. And the question is, you know, what is the side effects of that? And it says this will wreak havoc on the world's deserts. The lithium mining, it says here, will wreak havoc on the world's deserts. Lithium is found in the brine of salt flats. In order to obtain lithium, holes are drilled into the flats to pump the brine to the surface. This allows lithium carbonate to be extracted through a chemical process. Last week, Bloomberg published a report detailing how the, bloom, how the boom in lithium mining is irreversibly destroying the local environment of northern Chile's Atacama Desert. Mining for lithium means removing large amounts of water, which means depleting the water supply for locals. According to the report, the Tilaposa Meadow in Chile used to be a shelter for shepherds traveling at night yet has become barren due to lack of grass or water. That puts a severe strain on the local farmers. So the question is, whose right is that, you know, who does that water belong to? You would think that the water belongs to local farmers, but that, you know, the, the extraction of that water is part of what I would call an unethical supply chain. We need to be able to just say no to unethical supply chains. 
Notice that you know, a lot of this lithium is being used to build luxury cars. A Tesla is a luxury car. It's going to carry around one person typically or two people. It's a luxury car and so we're taking away the water from sheep farmers to build a luxury car for an American or somebody in Europe. It says here we are fooling ourselves if we call this sustainable and green mining. Christina Dordor, a Chilean biologist, told Bloomberg, the lithium fever should slow down because it's directly damaging salt flats, the ecosystems, and local communities. So what right does Elon Musk or the owner of a Tesla have to ruin the salt flats? And yeah, in fairness, the same lithium is used for our devices, our laptops, our uh, our phones, cell phones. So everybody's everybody's complicit in that. I'm not saying drivers of Teslas are uniquely culpable. I am saying we should have something that I call local sovereignty. We should have a right to say you don't set up business in our community unless we're convinced that you have an ethical supply chain, an ethical business operations, and ethical relations with labor. And if we did that, I would assert that most people in our community would say, hey, let's slow down, let's do what it takes to be ethical toward the people of Chile or the people of Bolivia or the people of Nevada, where there are some uh, lithium mines there as well. Continuing to read from the article in Salon, Cairn Energy Research Advisors estimates the lithium-ion industry is expected to grow from 100 gigawatt hours of annual production in 2017 to 800 gigawatt hours in 2027. That's an eight-fold increase between uh, in the 10 years from 2017 to 2027. Not only as a result of electric cars, but also because lithium is used in batteries to power various electrical and electronic goods, including mobile phones. Much of this will be mined from the South American Lithium Triangle, which spans across Argentina, Bolivia, and Chile, an area that is said to hold more than half the world's supply of the metal beneath its salt flats. Another major deposit comes from Australia. One of the biggest environmental problems caused by our endless hunger, hunger for the latest and smartest devices is a growing mineral crisis, particularly those needed to make our batteries. Christina Valle-Maki, an analyst at Elsevier, told UK's Wired. So it's making it sound like it's, this is all about consumer products, cell phones, laptops, electric cars. How about all the uh, how about all the server farms that the government has for nefarious purposes like the NSA? And I know that that's not rechargeable, but I'm sure a number of things in the military are rechargeable. So we need to not buy into the narrative that it's just people's endless consumer appetite. We buy what is pushed our way says here, one of the side effects of lithium mining is water pollution. The process of mining can affect local water supplies, potentially poisoning communities. 
Yet chemical leakage is also a major concern when it comes to lithium mining. The lithium carbonate extraction process harms the soil and can cause air pollution. There are also concerns around how to recycle it. Eco nonprofit Friends of the Earth notes that lithium recycling is fraught as the metal is toxic, highly reactive, and flammable. So we extract the lithium, we extract the water that it takes to extract the lithium, and we leave chemical and we leave toxic waste behind. It says here it tends to be incinerated or ends up in the landfill due to very low collection rates and flawed waste legislation, Friends of the Earth states in their lithium fact sheet. Low collection rates, the low and volatile market price of lithium, and the high cost of recycling relative to primary production have contributed to the absence of lithium recycling. So why is lithium cheap? Why, is lithium, why does lithium have a low price? Lithium has a low price because we're not taking into account the true cost. What's the true cost of the sheep farmers losing their livelihood? What's the true cost of polluting the water and the soil in this lithium triangle in South America, Argentina, Bolivia, Chile? What's the true cost of that? If lithium is cheap, then it may be that Tesla and Volkswagen and um, Hewlett-Packard and Apple and Samsung are not paying the true cost of the lithium. Therefore, they're widening their profit margin and making cheaper consumer products for the, that's lower cost for the end user. So here's where they get to the moral of the story, which I disagree with. It says, yet does that mean that electric cars are equally destructive as fossil fueled ones? Certainly not. The idea that electric cars or anything with lithium batteries are entirely green might not be true. And as demand rises, the hidden costs will become more apparent. To which I say, hogwash. I wish I could use stronger language. So the question, apparently the choice is either electric cars or fossil fuel cars. How about none of the above? But none of the above is not even a choice that they're offering here. They're saying that Americans and Europeans and Japanese, well, we just have to have our cars. And we have this limitless, uncontrollable consumer appetite. And I'm not saying no electric cars. I'm not saying no fossil fuel cars, but none of the above should be a choice. We have a transportation system in the United States that was designed and it continues to be designed so that everyone has to have a car if you want to live a normal life. Not everyone, but like 90% of people. You have to have a car if you want to get to work, car to get to the grocery, because our transportation system is designed around it. It's by design. It didn't just happen, and it continues to happen every year. So I've just got about a minute or two left. Let me leave you with something to think about. It's about choices, not forces. The powers that be want you and me to think that all this th stuff that you see around you is just because of inevitable, uncontrollable forces. But it's not. It's about choices. It, it was a choice to make our transportation system this way. 
It's a choice to need all these consumer devices and to not imagine another way to live. And just to be clear, my ire and my frustration is not with the average citizen or the average consumer. It's with the powers that be that run the show. They could be making different choices and they won't do it on their own. So we have to make them. That's all of the time. Thank you for joining me. Come back soon. Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen, and we are on episode number 296. Today's topic is lithium and clean energy. So here are some of the issues that arise when we look at lithium and clean energy. We might ask, you know, where does lithium come from? Back up just for a minute. The reason we're talking about lithium is because it is a key element in most rechargeable batteries, including rechargeable batteries in our phones, in our laptops, and in electric cars. So there's this huge push to convert from internal combustion engines to electric, not only in automobiles, but also, you know, they're talking about tractors and of course leaf blowers and weed eaters and power drills. And we can do some of that, but we have to count the cost. Because every one of those cell phones, every one of those laptops, every one of those cars is just a consumer product that somebody wants to sell you. Apple doesn't care about climate change as a company. The individuals might care about it, but as a company, they just want to sell you a phone. Tesla doesn't care about climate change. The individuals in Tesla might care about climate change, but they just want to sell you a car. So we have to know that just because these things are on the market, just because they look sexy, and just because Biden is talking about them in his climate plan, that it must be a good thing. But at the end of the day, it's just a consumer product. Somebody wants to sell it to you, and neither the seller nor the consumer are very aware of the impact that that has on people around the world and future generations, and our system is not set up currently to inform the consumer to make smart choices. And these people who believe we're going to shop our way to a better world, well, heaven help us. So how does lithium arise, or what, what, what are the issues that arise when we talk about lithium? So where does lithium come from? How does lithium impact workers and communities? Is lithium clean? Is lithium renewable? What can we learn by looking at companies that make products with lithium? And what can we learn by looking at the countries that the lithium comes from? So let's look at this lithium fact sheet from Friends of the Earth. This happens to originate from Europe, but it's the same idea. It says lithium is the lightest metal on earth and is used in batteries to power various electrical and electronic goods, including mobile phones and electric cars. As demand for lithium rises, the mining impacts 
are increasingly affecting communities where this harmful extraction takes place, jeopardizing their access to water. Current levels of lithium collection in the EU, European Union, are very low. I think it means collection related to recycling. Current levels of lithium collection in the EU are very low. In the case of batteries, this amounts to an estimated 5% of the lithium-ion batteries put on the European market. Most of the current lithium is either dumped in landfill or incinerated, contributing to Europe's dependency on lithium supply. So, you know, what would be the, the solution to that is extended producer responsibility. There's, uh, what is extended user, what, what's extended producer responsibility? Well, it's like bottle deposit laws. It's where you can take your bottle and return it for a deposit and the producer is responsible for paying you for that bottle. So we could be paid to return our cell phones for a deposit. We could be paid to return our cars for a deposit. That's extended producer responsibility and it's entirely pro appropriate for two reasons. One, if you're a company that makes a profit off of selling something, you shouldn't be able to shift your costs onto the consumer or onto the public. And secondly, that's exactly what they do. We pay, whether it's through municipal waste disposal, uh, the having to pay for landfills and also having to pay in, in, in our health because if the landfill is toxic and that gets into the water. Besides, recycling is a sham. All due respect to people who do recycling, it has some small benefit, but for, in order for, re, if we really wanted recycling to work, we would be returning the product to the maker of that product. It could be done through a return for deposit type of arrangement, or it could be a lease, or, or it could be a, a guaranteed like minimum amount of time, uh, you know, a warranty, at the end of which they, they have to buy you for the, they have to buy back the product that they sold you. If it cuts into their profits, so be it, they shouldn't be making profits by shifting their costs on to the consumer and shifting their costs mainly on to the public. It says here in the Friends of the Earth uh, fact sheet on lithium, unless the EU introduces mandatory collection and recycling targets for metals such as lithium, the current wasteful practices will continue contributing to far-reaching negative environmental and social impacts. It says here, demand for lithium is rising. Lithium converts chemical energy into electrical energy very efficiently. Analysts project that rechargeable lithium ion batteries have the highest potential for future energy storage systems. Lithium is therefore in high demand, especially to power personal electric goods like mobile phones energy storage systems, and hybrid electric vehicles. Accessible, high-quality lithium is largely concentrated in a few Andean countries, primarily Bolivia and Chile, 
although Bolivia is not yet exporting its lithium resources on an industrial scale. So, you know, hey, guess what? This is probably written when Evo Morales was president, and Bolivia should have the prerogative to not export lithium if that's what they choose to do. But then there was a coup in late 2019 that uh, deposed Evo Morales, and Elon Musk, the uh, owner of Tesla, took part, appeared to take partial credit for that. He said, we'll coup whoever we want, get used to it. You know, as if an American corporation has the right to say who is going to be the leader of Bolivia. So here in the uh, fact sheet, it has a chart. It says, you know, here's a, here are the places where, um, where you know, that have the most uh, lithium. Bolivia is number one at nine million tons. Chile is comes in at 7.5 million. China is third at 5.4 million. United States has 4 million tons. Argentina has 2.6 million tons. Australia has 1.8 million and on down the list. Of course, this is estimated, but these are the countries that have the most lithium. And the question is, who is going to benefit from that lithium? Will it be the people of the country where the lithium exists? Who's going to benefit from that? Or is it going to be uh, American corporations to get their way, not even the American people, but American corporations to get their way? Continuing to read, certain analysts believe that demand for lithium is likely to rise dramatically, partly because of American subsidies of this crap. Uh, demand for lithium is likely to rise dramatically due to manufacturing and marketing of new electronic devices such as mobile phones and laptops. Demand has already risen sharply. Lithium use in rechargeable batteries increased from 0% of the market share in 1991 to 80% in 2007. The European Commission has stated that the tonnage of lithium used in portable devices could increase tenfold between 2010 and 2020. So let's talk about the impact of lithium mining. So this, you know, this, this episode is about lithium and clean energy. So, you know, the, the Biden climate plan has the word clean energy, clean as in clean energy, over 50 times. So, you know, if they say clean energy, clean energy, clean energy, clean energy, then they're wanting you to think that it's clean energy. What if it's not clean energy? What if it's not clean to everyone who is involved? So it says lithium is found in the brine salts, brine of salt flats, like in Bolivia, Argentina, um, Chile. Holes are drilled into the salt flats and the brine is pumped to the surface, leaving it to evaporate in ponds. This allows lithium carbonate to be extracted through a chemical process. That's a prevailing theme in mining. There are always chemicals, whether it's gold, silver, copper, lithium, cobalt, coltan. There's always some chemical that leaves toxic waste after the precious metal has been extracted. It says the extracting, extraction of lithium has significant environmental and social impacts due to water pollution and depletion. 
In addition, toxic chemicals are needed to process lithium. The release of such chemicals through leaching, spills, or air emissions can harm communities, ecosystems, and food production. Moreover, lithium extraction inevitably harms the soil and also causes air contamination. The salt flats where lithium is found are located in arid territories. In these places, access to water is key for the local communities and their livelihoods, as well as the local flora and fauna. In Chile's Atacamba salt flats, mining consumes, contaminates, and diverts scarce water resources away from local communities. The extraction of lithium has caused water-related conflicts and different community, with different communities, such as the community of Tocanao in the north of Chile. In Argentina's Salar de Hombre Muerto, local communities claim that lithium operations have contaminated streams used for humans, livestock, and crop irrigation. There's been a widespread speculation about whether Bolivia could become a lithium superpower, especially overtaking Chile, by unlocking its massive resources, which may exceed 100 million tons, in its salt flats. But Bolivia has so far resisted large-scale industrial mining of lithium, although it has plans to build a, pot, a pilot project as a precursor to the possible development of a lithium mining industry in the future. However, the lithium-rich Salar de Uyuni is near to the San Cristobal mine, which since it opened in 2007 has caused an environmental and social disaster that affects all of Southwest Potosi, including through the use of 50,000 liters of water per day. So let's go now to an article in Forbes. So, you know, Forbes is a business magazine, so consider the source. You're not going to expect Forbes to be on the environmental cutting edge, and anything they report about business is going to be biased toward making profits. But here we go. Electric vehicles are driving demand for lithium with environmental consequences. It says, as the world moves toward a low-carbon future, there is growing range of technological investments facilitating the transition away from fossil fuels. Transportation and energy production are two sectors that desperately need to reduce emissions. And developments in electrical vehicles and battery storage are rapidly changing both markets. Lithium, sometimes referred to as white petroleum, is a key component in energy storage and in recent years demand has skyrocketed. This week, delegates are gathering in Chile, the country with the world's biggest lithium reserves, at the 11th Lithium Supply and Markets Conference to discuss the latest advances in the industry. Large-scale batteries as a storage option for renewable energy on main electricity grids 
reached prominence after Elon Musk challenged himself to upgrade South Australia's energy grid within 100 days. It says here, the growing use of lithium batteries to store energy has exposed one of the dirtier sides of transitioning to a low carbon economy. To create these batteries, there is a need for a range of rare earth metals that require heavy mining and manufacturing that emit significant emissions, in other words, carbon emissions, which is not the only factor we should be concerned about, but that's what they're talking about. Furthermore, major components such as lithium, nickel, and cobalt exist in a finite amount that is unlikely to meet the current and future demands for battery units. So what options are available to help meet present and future needs, and how can it reduce pollution in the process? By the year 2025, lithium demand is expected to increase to approximately 1.3 million metric tons, of LCE, lithium carbon equivalent, over five times today's levels. For example, the Volkswagen Group aims to launch more than 70 electric car models in the next 10 years, closely followed by a host of other automakers. In order to increase the lithium supply to meet the boom in electric vehicle demand, companies such as Energy Exploration Technologies, EnergyX, are working on breakthrough direct extraction technologies that they hope will provide increased production capabilities on both existing brine reserves and previously non-viable brine sources. Let's look at the analysis of the climate impact of lithium-ion batteries and how to measure it. This is from a report by Circular Energy Storage from July of 2019. Says so over the last 10 years, the lithium-ion battery has gone from an enabling technology for mobile electronics to play an important role in the world's decarbonization and reduction of greenhouse gases. First of all, as an enabler of electrification of today's vehicle fleets, such as cars, buses, trucks. Let's look and see what uh, United Nations has to say about uh, the environmental cost of electric car batteries. It says developing countries pay environmental cost of electric car batteries. It says growth in electric car sales is great news for the fight against climate change, but the mining of minerals used in the, the, their batteries poses serious risks for the environment. Global consumers are warming up to electric cars whose sales are expected to jump from 3 million vehicles in 2017 to 23 million in 2030, according to the International Energy Agency. Similar growth is expected for rechargeable batteries with the market for cathode, the positive electrode of the lithium ion battery, forecast to reach $58 billion in 2024, up from an estimated $7 billion in 2018. While this is great news for efforts to cut greenhouse gases, an UNCTAD report, UNCTAD is United Nations Conference on Trade and Development, an UNCTAD report says the expected boom in mining for raw materials used to make rechargeable batteries raises environmental cost and social concerns that must be urgently addressed. I like that. They must be urgently addressed. We're not going to be casual. We're not going to be cavalier 
about people's lives, about their farmland, about their water, about the environment in which they have to live. Says most consumers are only aware of the clean aspects of electric vehicles, says Pamela Koch Hamilton, UNCTAD's director of international trade. The dirty aspects of the production process are out of sight. I like that. Okay, it looks clean, but somewhere in the world, something dirty is happening because of the electric cars and because of the other electronic devices. This is because while most of the consumers live in industrialized countries, the nation's share of raw materials is concentrated in a few developing countries. More than half of the world's lithium resources lie, lies behind, beneath the salt flats in the Andean regions of Argentina, Bolivia, and Chile, where indigenous canoa farmers and llama herders must now compete with miners for water in one of the world's driest regions. Lithium mining requires huge amounts of groundwater to pump out brines from drilled wells, and some estimates show that almost 2 million liters of water, that's about 500 million, or it's about 500,000 gallons of water, are needed to produce one ton of lithium. And just to give you perspective, uh, 12 pounds of pure lithium is needed for a Tesla automobile. In Chile's Salar de Atacarna, Lithium and other mining activities consume 65% of the water, causing groundwater depletion, soil contamination, and other forms of environmental degradation, forcing local communities to abandon ancestral settlements. So what right do we have, not just we, but what right does Elon Musk have, or what right does Apple or Samsung or Volkswagen have to drive people from their ancestral settlements. As demand for lithium increases and production is tapped from deeper rock mines and brines, the challenges of mitigating environmental risk will increase. That's the thing about a non-renewable resource. The more time goes on, the dirtier it is to extract. The more time goes on, the more energy intensive it is to extract. The more time goes on, the more the extraction process leaves behind toxic chemicals. It's just the nature of the beast when you're dealing with non-renewable resources. Lithium is a non-renewable resource says here is talking about artisanal mines in the Congo. Nearly 50% of the world's cobalt, so cobalt is also used in lithium ion batteries. 50% of the world's cobalt reserves are in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which accounts for over two thirds of global production of the mineral. About 20% of cobalt sourced from the Central African nation comes from artisanal mines where some 40,000 children work in extremely dangerous conditions, according to UNICEF, the UN's Children's Agency. 
The dust from excavation may contain toxic metals, including uranium, that are linked to health problems such as respiration diseases and birth defects. The environmental risks are just as worrying. Cobalt mine sites may contain sulfur materials that can generate sulfuric acid when exposed to air and water. This process, known as acid mine drainage, can devastate rivers, streams, and aquatic life for hundreds of years. The environmental impacts of graphite mining are similar. The use of explosives can blow dust and fine particles into the atmosphere, causing health problems in nearby communities and contaminating soils around the site. About 80% of natural graphite reserves are in Brazil, China, and Turkey. It says here that adverse environmental impacts could be reduced by investing more in sustainable mining technologies and technologies that can recycle more effectively the raw materials found in spent lithium-ion batteries. And yet, are we serious about recycling? Hell no, we're not, we're not serious about recycling. We're only going to be serious about recycling when we seriously take the issue and the policy of extended producer responsibility. If Apple sells you a phone with lithium-ion batteries, then Apple should be liable for taking back that phone and paying you for the phone. That way, everybody would be incentivized to recycle instead of leaving it to the goodwill of the conscientious consumer, which, you know, the most conscientious person in the world cannot create the system to effectively and efficiently deliver spent products back to the factory that made them. UNCTAD, the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development, also recommends that the industry find ways to reduce the need for mining in the first place. For example, scientists are testing the possibility of replacing graphite in the batteries with widely available silicon. Reducing the use of minerals found only in a few countries could lead to lower prices for the batteries, the report says, which could lead to even more electric cars on the road. I've got a few minutes left. Let me leave you with some things to think about. You know, one thing that comes to mind here is the concept of externalities. Externality is simply a hidden cost. It's a shifting cost. So, so much of, of, of what we consume has a hidden cost that we're not paying and the producer is not paying. Whether it's you know, disposable plastic, disposable paper, we are able to extract the resources for those items without paying the true cost of what it takes to extract them and transport them and dispose of them and deal with the waste. And, you know, so-called clean energy is no different. So-called, you know, Electric cars, yeah, electric cars wear me out because electric cars, at the end of the day, an electric car is still a car. A car is a little individualized transportation unit. It's this little ITU. We have a system that was designed 
four cars. We don't need to have a transportation system that is designed for cars. We could quickly trans, uh, transition to a transportation system that is for trains and buses and not cars. The way we could do that is to frickin' stop spending money on automobile-related transportation. I'm talking highways. Highways, highways, building the highway. When are we going to build another highway? When are we going to add another lane? Always adding more lanes to the highways. Lots of money dedicated to adding lanes to the highways. Meanwhile, the average car on average is an $8,000 per year tax because it takes $8,000 per year on average to own and operate an automobile. That is a tax. It is something that you don't have a choice if you want to live a normal life, if you want to go to the grocery, if you want to go to work, you have to have a car. It need not be that way, but it is that way. It needs to change. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. Have a great day.